Well, it's fall time. Uh, the leaves, at least at my house, are starting to change colors slowly. They're, they're dropping their leaves, and uh, I'm beginning to see them pile up in that one corner in my yard that they always like to go to. Uh, pretty soon, I'll be needing to buy uh, some of those clear trash bags to stuff all my leaves in, and I always fill them too, uh, too full, make them too heavy. Leaves get too heavy if you fill those things up too much, and it's always a struggle for me to get them down to the curb. But with the coming of these, these seasons, whether it's fall or winter or spring or summer, we see these changes come gradually, do we not? And we're able to make a plan. We're able to prepare for those changes. Uh, with the fall, it's a rake and some trash bags. Uh, when winter comes along, maybe some, some old sheets to cover the plants outside. Uh, or a nice new warm winter coat. And with spring, some allergy medicine. Maybe some, some mud boots. Uh, and then summertime, a fan. Definitely a fan to help keep you cool uh, and to keep those AC bills low. But for the most part, with these changing seasons, we're able to see these challenges, these peculiar elements with that season come our way gradually. And we're able to plan a long ways off in order to outright avoid any major problems. However, Snowmageddon, February of 2021, that kind of threw this whole formula out the window, did it not? I was in Midland at the time with my family, and I remember going to Home Depot with what felt like the rest of Midland, trying to gather last-minute uh, uh, supplies, things that we needed for the house, hose bibs uh, to cover the, the faucet so the pipes wouldn't freeze. But what I learned in that moment is that Snowmageddon was bigger than any plan. It was bigger than any amount of preparations in order to avoid it, to avoid its problems we faced this thing head on and we could not avoid it. Life in this broken world. Oftentimes we like to treat it like gradual changing of the seasons. If we see far enough ahead, we can make a plan and we can totally avoid problems. But life in this broken, fallen world is often like facing snowmageddon. There's no plan that you can put in place to avoid what you must deal with. We see this in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Most clearly, death. There is no plan to outmaneuver death. It's something we all face, certainly in our own lives, but in those that we love as well. This is a Snowmageddon-type season, a battle that we are called to face in this broken, fallen world. And it's certainly not the only cancer, any kind of disease that marks our life, that seemingly dis derails us, derails our plans. And we are forced to face it head on. We can't outmaneuver it. And its weight 
is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So what are we to do with these inevitable hardships that we can't avoid? Is there any way to prepare for these type of snowmageddon seasons in our life? Death, cancer, financial instability brought on by inflation. Can we do anything to prepare for such seasons? Yes and no. I'd be foolish to simply say yes, no, we can't prepare for something that is not yet experienced that will deeply cause us pain and turmoil. We can't do anything to blunt the sting of death. But we can prepare in measure. We can cultivate now in our lives a perspective, a way of seeing beyond the brokenness of this world. A perspective that is rooted in God and his word. A perspective that will make a difference when the battle that we cannot avoid comes. That's what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we prepare for those seasons, those intense battles in our life that are unavoidable and overwhelming. Today we're going to look at Joshua 5, verses 1 through 12. And in our passion, passion, in our passage, we are going to see the nation of Israel in a transition. Israel will be transitioning from a season marked by wandering in the wilderness to a season marked by military battle. And we are going to see an approach that God took with this nation, preparing them for this season of battle. Something they could not avoid and something that I'm sure felt overwhelming. So the structure of our sermon will be this. First, we're going to talk about God preparing this nation for military battle by way of circumcision and celebrating the Passover. And then we'll conclude with how we might prepare for battle. Those unavoidable and overwhelming circumstances in our lives. So look with me in verses 2 through 9 of chapter 5. As we talk on our first point, that the Lord prepared Israel for military battle by way of circumcision and celebrating the Passover. In verses 2 through 9, we're going to first look at circumcision. Follow along as I read from the ESV. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gebath Haaraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. 
For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Okay, stop with me there. I'll be honest, circumcision is not a preacher's first topic that he would choose to talk on. Uh, Yet here, we really can't get around it, can we? Uh, It is seemingly every other word. In fact, it is mentioned eight times in eight verses. So the author has this word on repeat for a reason. He's he's telling us something. He wants us to learn something from this. Uh, But what exactly? Well, for starters, he wants to draw our attention to the fact that God places tremendous value on his covenant relationship with his people. You see, circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, which was God's promise to bless Abraham with descendants, to give to him and those descendants the promised land, and then through Abraham to bless the whole world. And God required the nation of Israel, Abraham's physical descendants, to perform this sign on their males. It was an external marker to identify them with the covenant. But as we had just read, the second generation leaving Egypt had not yet received that sign. Why? Simply because of the faithlessness of their parents, of the previous generation, which we see in verse 6, they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So it was not until that disobedient or faithless generation died off that God would renew. We're seeing a covenant renewal here with this second generation. It's as if God is telling them, it's to you I'm giving this land. And if you believe me, then be circumcised. And they did. And they were. And we see this act of faithful obedience in God commending them in verse 9. Look at verse 9. We see this phrase, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Meaning the Lord's disapproval with that previous generation's faithlessness had now been cast aside, separated from this present generation. This present generation believed, they obeyed, and now God would use them as his instrument of righteousness in the promised land. But the Lord's preparation for his army did not stop with circumcision. The Lord, after the circumcision, four days later, commanded them to participate in 
the Passover. The Passover was always to be held on the 14th day of the first month. They entered into the promised land on the 10th day. Either that day or a day later, they were circumcised. And then four days later, they celebrated the Passover. So read with me verse 10. As we see the Lord uh, preparing Israel for battle, battle by way of celebrating the circumcision. Verse 10 says, While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Okay, just stop there. This is only the third time in the history of the nation of Israel that they have celebrated the Passover. The first time was in Egypt, the night of the final plague, when the Lord took the life of all firstborn males whose home did not have the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost. The second time was a year later at Mount Sinai, uh, immediately after receiving the law and then before they ventured on to the promised land, which ended up being a flop because of their faithlessness, their disobedience. And now here's the third time. The third time they've celebrated the Passover in the history of this nation. And we see it immediately following the Lord miraculously planting them in the promised land, the circumcision of the second generation, and it precedes their very first battle in the promised land of Jericho, which we'll look at next week. So what is Passover? What's its significance in the history of the nation of Israel? Well, it was the annual feast they practiced commemorating the Lord redeeming them from Egypt, bringing them out of bondage. And for the majority of its history, it was an act of worship. But here we can see it Paired with covenant renewal and it being an act of faith, of trust in and commitment to the one true God. And the Lord is using this. He's using Passover with circumcision to prepare them for military battle. An unavoidable and overwhelming season that they are about to enter into that will last anywhere from five to seven years. Okay, so what does this have to do with preparing them for battle? Well, read with me the very end of chapter 4 for context. It gives us an, a reason that, for God's actions here. You, this won't appear on the, the screen, but look in your Bibles. Chapter 4, verse 23 through 24. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you, that you, Israelites, may fear the Lord your God forever. So the Lord's command for them to be circumcised and then expectation that they obey the Passover on its date was training them to fear the Lord, to trust in Him and commit to Him and not fear the enemy nations, to be in awe of Him, not these fortified cities that they were about to encounter, 
to trust what he says and not what they see. Okay, now pause with me for just a moment. How is this at work in this particular situation? Well, think back with me. In verse, in chapter 3, the Lord had just parted the Jordan River and he had planted them in the promised land. And then he closed the waters of the Jordan so that they returned to their flood stage, effectively trapping them between the city of Jericho, which was just a few miles away, and a flooded Jordan River. Millions of people there on the plains of Jericho. And then in chapter 4, as he returned the waters, blocking their retreat, he tells them in chapter 5, what? Raise your swords, charge Jericho, you're trapped. He tells them to make flint knives and circumcise their males. Make flint knives and circumcise your males. The Lord has trapped them and now he is literally incapacitating his entire army. Makes no sense whatsoever. And rather than them taking a defensive posture as they're helpless there, he tells them to go on and celebrate the Passover. Do you see how this is preparing them to trust in him and to commit to him? Surely Joshua and the others were thinking to themselves, this makes no sense. What kind of military commander are you? We know what you've called us to do, to take this promised land. And yet you have us here trapped and helpless between a flooded river and a fortified city. Can you relate to Joshua at all in your life? As you follow the Lord's leading, as he's made it clear what he asks of you. And yet, rather than charging forward, he seems to lead you in a very puzzling manner. Every which way, but where you feel he's calling you. In God's economy, in God's economy, the process is just as valuable as the product. The process of him preparing and training you to trust in him and commit to him. And not what you see is just as important as the product. And in our passage, God was training the hearts of this military, of this whole nation. By giving them an opportunity to see the fruit of godly fear to experience his faithfulness in real time by having them lay exposed and totally vulnerable on the plains of Jericho, teaching them that I am faithful. I will not allow your enemy to devour you. I am your shield. I am your strength. And wounded and weak, Each man learned that. The Lord's faithful. It's very simple. We know this. But there's seasons we enter into where we experience and it grows our faith in his faithfulness. And that's what he was doing 
on the plains of Jericho to these men, to this nation. And read with me in verse 1 of chapter 5 as we see God's faithfulness at work with his people. Verse 1 of chapter 5. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over there, the nations in the promised land, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. The Lord was their shield. The Lord was their guard. Verse 1 here is actually fulfilled prophecy from Exodus chapter 15, which we call the Song of Moses, the song they sang as the Lord parted the Red Sea. It was a prophecy in which Moses declared, as our people march into the promised land, the Lord will be their strength. The Lord will drive out the nations. The Lord, it's his mighty arm that we are to trust, that we are to follow. He is the warrior to be feared. And we also see God's faithfulness to his covenant people manifested in verses 11 through 12 of our chapter here in 5. Read with me verses 11 through 12 as we see God's faithfulness in action. And the day after the Passover, on, the very, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. The manna ceasing as soon as they entered into the land, committed themselves to the covenant by way of circumcision and the Passover. The manna ceasing is God saying to his people, you've arrived. You are in your land. Your wandering has ceased. I your covenant-keeping God who promised to bring you in this land, I have delivered you into it. You now will surely be established. Just as I've brought you here, just as I've protected you, you will be firmly planted in this land. Trust me. Commit yourself to me. I am faithful. I have committed myself to you. So what does any of this have to do with us? This, this nation that God protected, that he would plant into the land, that they might be a kingdom of priests to display to the unbelieving nations around them who this one true God is. What does this have to do with us today? As Christians, at the moment of your salvation, God pledged himself to you in the new covenant you entered into a new covenant with him, which is rooted in the Abrahamic covenant. At the moment you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, God in Christ circumcised your heart by uniting you to the death of Christ to sin and his resurrection unto new life with God. He is the Passover lamb who shed blood 
is the forgiveness of all those who trust in him. What this means is we, Christians, we are God's covenant people. We are his kingdom of priests. And we are called to display his truth, his goodness in Christ to the world. And we do this in an unbelieving world that is broken and cursed and filled with unavoidable and overwhelming battles that we would love to skirt or to outplan or outmaneuver, but we can't. Like Israel, we do this not in our strength, but because our God is faithful. He is our protector. He has pledged his faithfulness to us for all eternity. So how do we as his covenant people prepare for life's unavoidable battles, these seasons that overwhelm us. We daily devote ourselves to God because he has forever devoted himself to us. We daily devote ourselves to our covenant-keeping God because he has forever devoted himself to us. A week ago uh, from last Thursday, my wife's cousin Brittany tragically lost her husband Andy in a motor vehicle accident in the DFW area. Andy was a believer, so he's presently with the Lord. But I want to share with you some features of Andy's and Brittany's life, a view of what it looks like to devote yourself to our faithful God, and how this daily devotion does prepare us to face these unimaginable seasons. You see, Andy was an ordained pastor, but he was not in full-time vocational ministry. He had employment elsewhere. But he served faithfully in the church. In fact, he felt called by the Lord to reach the apartment complex behind his local church filled with teenagers. And so every Tuesday, he'd go and knock on their door and invite them to the church And he became affectionately known as their pastor. Certainly, Andy was not perfect. Uh, He struggled with sin and temptation just like all of us. But he knew who his protector was. He knew who his shield was. And Andy would run to God. He would run to God in these times of tremendous temptation. And he would hand copy passages of the scriptures starting in Genesis and just work his way chronologically through the Bible. And just this year, he finished in copying, copying the entire Bible by his hand. And he ran to God before and during life's battles with the flesh and the brokenness of this world, devoting himself to his covenant-keeping God who had devoted himself to him. Brittany, my wife's cousin, uh, she was not idly sitting by in all of this. She watched her husband. She followed his lead. 
And she too daily devoted herself to the Lord. Serving, worshiping, walking with our God. She lived this life. How do I know this? How do I know Brittany lived this life of daily devoting herself to our covenant-keeping God? Because she's now forced to face life without her husband and to raise their three kids who are eight years old and younger without her spouse. But she's not alone. She's able to do this with a true belief in and a real commitment unto God because he has proven his faithfulness to her. She knows he to be her strength and protection. I want you to listen as I read to you. One of Brittany's Facebook posts that she wrote moments after she lost her husband. She says, I want you to grieve because you must. We must But I also want you to see that our God is ever-present and ever-good. Even now, in the darkest moments I have ever experienced, he sends me these things. Andy lived his life connecting, loving, and chasing people's hearts. Mine and my children's more than anyone else's. We have lived our marriage for the broken and cast aside. Because we once were, yet God. How can I feel this much pain, yet such deep reverence? I have no idea how I will live with this life and raise these children without him. He was the best of us, and today I stand in that I remember, just like before, yet God Even as my husband left this earth, he did what he did as he lived on it. Mission completed, babe. Hear me. Death is still an enemy. It will be the last enemy conquered, but it will be. And I will with my children and all those Andy has touched and changed as he lived his faith out loud. Even those mentioned here in his last moments, we will celebrate together. Because even in the darkest moments, yet God Make haste, Lord, make haste. Brittany is facing an unimaginable battle, and yet she is able to stand, not because of her strength, but because of the Lord's, because of God's faithfulness to her and his strength for her. She is devoted to the one who first devoted himself to her. She is holding on to the one who is holding her in his arms and will never let go. One way we as believers can prepare for these moments, not take the sting away, not blunt the pain, but just prepare to endure, prepare to stand. One way we can train our hearts to believe in and commit to our covenant-keeping God is to remember. Practice the daily discipline of remembrance. Remember how God has been faithful to you in the past and write them down or thank them, thank him for them. 
share them with someone. Remember how God answered a prayer. Remember how God had delivered you from temptation or sin. Remember how God sent his son to die in your place. Remember how God has been gracious to you and merciful. Remember concrete examples of God's faithfulness to you. And that will train your hearts. It will train our hearts so that we can stand, so that we can endure these seasons of intense battle that we cannot avoid and that we cannot overcome in our strength. None of us know what's exactly around the corner. But we can all join with Brittany that no matter what it is, we can stand and endure and say, yet God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you through your son who has made a way for us to stand before you. Not based on our righteousness, but his alone. We thank you for the hope we have in Christ and it's a sure hope. I pray that you would grow each of us to grab hold of you, to see you for who you are, and to walk with you, trusting in your faithfulness in our lives. I pray for Brittany and all those others who are in these types of seasons. Manifest your faithfulness to them in marvelous ways that cause them to be in awe and wonder of who you are. I thank you for this church. I pray your blessing on us as we seek to grow in our love for you, our knowledge of you. May we be people who cling to your faithfulness as the only sure shield for our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.